Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hey, I'm here with Matt and John. I think that Luke Timothy Johnson may bring a sort of balance, a different voice. John is going to be our main informant on Luke Timothy Johnson. If, uh, you know, the biographical information isn't maybe quite as important as we had, had once thought, is that because what really is important is sort of Paul's, you know, quote unquote, Paul's sort of doctrinal coherence. But I, I think I hear you saying that, uh, he, you know, that he wasn't a systematic theologian. So what, you know, what am I, am I oversimplifying or, or missing something? No, I think, well, uh, I'll just try to help you. I think you're you're on the right track. I would just say what we could say is that Paul's an occasional theologian. So that he is writing, you know, he may have some kind of systematic framework in his head. We just don't have that given to us. Right. But what he's writing and explaining doctrine and ethics, um, you know, in a very cohesive manner to specific occasions. And we might even say, I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't take a step back and say, well, he's actually writing to how he perceived uh, specific issues and, you know, that were brought up on occasion. So oftentimes Paul's writing because he's received a letter from somebody who's outlined the problems of a specific church. So it's not as if we need to imagine that, you know, somehow Paul knew every detail of what he's writing against or that he even had an accurate account of uh, who later people will say are his opponents, his first century opponents. He may not have even had first century opponents. He's just writing to some issues that, uh, you know, have been put forward in the, you know, that have occurred in these churches because they're filled with humans who can't get along. Um, And so the reason why people want to take the biographical information or construct a historical biography and make that super important is because they want to come up with a construction of who Paul was along the lines of either he, uh, and this is just often, you know, it's not just these two categories, but often, oh, we've got an apocalyptic Paul or we've got a Hellenistic Paul, and we can kind of play those things off of each other. Johnson's saying, well, you know, we really can't, in, in, in any seriousness, construct anything so detailed. So why don't we just keep asking questions of the material that we have and search out and, you know, come to a better understanding of the doctrines Paul does present to us based on the occasions he's writing to as Paul understood them. That's excellent. And and I couldn't help but to to think about someone like St. John, the theologian, who's my favorite, I mean, I love Paul, but my favorite theologian of the New Testament is St. John, who we know next to nothing about Mm -hmm. his sort of biographical information, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I know that he was a fisherman mm-hmm. and a disciple of Jesus and maybe a couple other things, but he writes, you know, the Gospel of John and then his, his letters. And uh, and he really is laying out theology there uh, that, that doesn't seem to really, you don't really need to know too much other than that John was a Jewish disciple of Jesus, right? I don't mm-hmm. want to oversimplify, but... Oh, I mean, most people aren't, you know, <laughs> if you get into a critical discussion of the Johannine literature, people are even more disparaging, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true, yeah. So it, it really is an interesting conversation. And Paul, I guess I want to ask if you agree, you know, first of all, do you agree with what Johnson is doing? How important is biographical information? Because the reason why I'm asking you this is because you incorporate a lot of this stuff into the work that you've done, you know, uh, with, you know, the psychotheology of sin and death in your book. 
uh, and a lot of the sort of blogging that you do and, and conversations that you have, right? And so I want to ask, would you want to bring a critique to what uh, Johnson's doing or would you just want to agree or just answer how important uh, biographical information is uh, about St. Paul for the church? Yeah, I think that my, my own work uh, it does in fact agree because really what's under discussion here you know, again, is just anth- an anthropological question. You know, what it, what is a human being and how is a human being formed? When we talk about the formation of Paul or the construct of Paul, how does any human, you know, how are any of us constructed or formed? Well, that's a very complicated question. <laughs> and I think we've tended to be very simplistic. There, there is a kind of simplicity. I was just thinking of the uh, previous generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of the best known liberal, you know, was was he was a bishop in the uh, Anglican Church that wrote "Honest to God." John A. T. Robinson. John A. T. Robinson. It's a little book saying, "Well, now we know. You know, we we have modern science. We understand these people were primitives, and they had this layered universe." And so it is a kind of total, you know, oh, we can place Paul. And can, can I uh, just throw in a little bit that John's uh, critique of Hart, I get a little of that with Hart, that, you know, oh, we can be dismissive of, oh, they believed in this or that, a layered universe. or Well, uh, you know, the, the, the New Testament itself is very complicated. We were all familiar with a particular professor who was a Greek, maybe the most brilliant Greek scholar we all know, who, in fact, to put together two theological concepts that, you know, was not simply a grammatical construction, did not fit his framework for understanding. I'm afraid that what we often do, we just flatten out the personalities. Now, let me say another thing about John A.T. Robinson. He wrote another book called Redating the New Testament. Do you guys remember yeah, this? Yeah. I, introdu- I introduced it to you, but you may have, you may have been sleeping that day. <laughs> Redating the New Testament is more conservative in the dates than the conservatives. In other words, there's all sorts of hypotheses working in a lot of higher critical liberal scholarship and putting these things in the, you know, second century or what you're saying, John, about Luke Timothy Johnson. So much of what we hear about the writing of the New Testament, I'm afraid is just wrong. Mm -hmm. It's based upon false premises and false presuppositions that are simplifying what a human being is, simplifying the notion that we can in some way capture first century thought and then uh, imagining that in our modern scientific mode that we can set ourselves above. And of course, the point is the whole thing is a much more complicated endeavor to come to understand any person, any biography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would doubt that either, you know, any of us, can you sit down? Could you honestly sit down and give a true chronicle of who you are, and it's a highly complicated thing. I would hope that that's partly what my work has brought to it, that there are these many facets to this person, Paul, 
that he himself is made aware of and comes to understand at different phases in his life. In a kind of two-dimensional picture of, of human beings, I'm afraid that we wouldn't allow for that. What we would allow for in any modern biography of someone, in some way we don't allow for that to exist in the New Testament in our depiction of Paul. And I think that's mistaken. Paul is a complicated person. He's a, a quite ingenious. He's inspired. He's had you know, all the things that we can say. To imagine that we could create some sort of cardboard cutout I think is a, a huge mistake. Yeah, I mean, he's an apostle who met the risen Christ. <laughs> you know what I mean? And as Kierkegaard said, you know, there's a difference between an, a genius and an apostle, you know. But I, I, I guess I'm wondering, this is an excellent conversation, and we might have kind of hit on this already. So what is Paul's contribution to the New Testament in the context of our conversation that we're having today? Uh, and, and really, even how important is the conversation about authorship and authenticity, John? Yeah, so I think we should probably take this in the direction of authority. And so a part of the question that has always been asked is like, well, we have to get the authorship and authenticity figured out so we can figure out what's authoritative. And a way, uh, in a way, we're just sidelining that. We're saying, well, these letters all have borne the stamp of Paul's authority, and that was accepted by the church all the way up until Schleiermacher. And then, you know, you get F.C. Bauer and you get the Tubigen School and you get people doing different sorts of constructions and criticisms. But what we do have in these letters has been the church's canon. So in a sense, this is the book that the church has used to be able to say who Jesus is. I mean, in a sense that we have the Gospels, but the Pauline corpus is so large that it just ha like if you're in any kind of liturgical church, it's going to get read a lot. And I actually think if you're probably in a non-liturgical church, that probably gets preached on more than anything else because people like to preach on uh, the works of Paul. So in that sense, I would just want to say that, you know, we don't really have, you know, the New Testament is so largely uh, dependent upon Paul's works. It's just such a big chunk of it. The, the, this conversation about authorship and authenticity can be put on the side in a sense that we're just saying, well, we don't actually know how it came about. Um, we don't have to be able to say that, you know, Paul sat in a cell and the Holy Spirit moved his hand to write these exact words. That's not the point. The point is here is a uh, proclamation of the risen Christ by an apostle that was sent to most of the churches in the ancient world, that Paul had this very sophisticated uh, missionary organization in the first century where he has all these companions. He's setting up uh, elders, which we would now refer to as bishops. You know, it's either uh, the word, I don't know, it's, it's episkopos often in the New Testament is where we get our word bishop for. He's setting up all these communities. He thinks he can write from one community uh, to another and that he's going to be taken seriously. He thinks he can write and know what's going on and basically what he would be getting himself into uh, when he writes to places like Rome, where he hadn't actually established the community. And so I, I would just say that Paul ends up being a very central figure in the New Testament. Okay, so so Paul, what, you know, in, in light of everything that John's been saying, what what's Paul's contribution to the New Testament? I know that that's a huge question. And actually what I have in the back of my mind is the things that you taught us in class and that you continually remind us. And that is, is that we've often in the history of scholarship done Paul uh, to the exclusion of the gospel, right? And so I, I guess 
they're framing that as the background. What's Paul's contribution to the New Testament? The, to understand Paul's a Christian, which sounds like a, a kind of overwhelmingly understated point. And of course, that's the thing that people like Zizek and others are saying, oh, Paul's not a Christian. He invented Christianity. I think to understand who Paul is, we have to focus then on who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And to focus and understand who Jesus is and what he's doing, we do have to have a primary focus on the Gospels. Now that might be taken as, you know, oh, well, that's a nice sentiment that everybody, but of course, when you actually begin studies, as you guys well know, that the way that the Gospel is approached, even when you're in the midst of Gospel studies, is very often a, you know, a harmony of the Gospels, or that in some way the Gospels become secondary to a theological understanding that is not there in the Gospels. And so I think who we're going to understand Paul if we put the, the Gospels front and center and what's taking place in the person and work of Christ. Now, I do happen to think that an apocalyptic reading of the, the understanding of Christ breaking in does give us a better fit for putting Paul together with that centrality of the person and work of Christ. I think that that then makes sense, that it does put the epistles in their, their proper perspective. And so the great danger here is that we lose Jesus in focusing on Paul. And of course, that's the accusation that people like Zizek, but many people would make, is that Paul made up this whole thing. And of course, I think the Christianity that they're picturing that uh, he made up is that kind of reformed or old perspective understanding in which they're not seeing that, oh, this is a, this is a different context that gives us Paul and Paul then is already working in this new kingdom context. That's exactly right. That, and that's the reason why I asked you that question in that way, because what you taught us uh, is that we often read Paul into the Gospels, right? So our whole reading of the Gospels is colored by the Apostle Paul and what he has already, you know, supposedly taught us about faith and works and all these different doctrines. And then we read that back into the Gospels. And so, as you eloquently said, it's like Jesus sort of is relegated almost in a strange way, right? Like the uh, the theology of the Gospels or the uh, the teachings of Jesus in some way are secondary to Paul. And, and that's what John was saying earlier, too, is that you hear so much preaching uh, and rightfully so, right? We, we love Paul, and uh, but but it's almost like a lot of times, at least in my uh, going to church, I would, uh, you know, way more often hear sermons on the letters of Paul than I would on the Gospels because sometimes we just don't know what to do with the Gospels. And so, John, for our last question, I want to ask you then, with all that being said and everything uh, that, that we've been saying here today with Luke and Johnson, et cetera, what is St. Paul's place then in early Christianity? Yeah, I've got two thoughts about this. I really liked what Paul just said, and it actually really applies to this, what, we're, what I'm about to say. But I do want to push back a little bit on the way you framed up uh, what Paul was saying after you're done. This idea that we might read Paul back into the Gospels. I'm afraid that even though we know it's wrong, 
we we look at the New Testament and we say, oh, the Gospels first, and you know, chronologically first, Paul second. So then we've got a problem with reading Paul back in. But of course, most of Paul's letters were written before the Gospels and have already shaped. So so I, I want to push back against separating these into two different things. Obviously, there's a problem theologically. This is what Paul Axton was just saying. There's this problem theologically with missing the gospel, imagining some construction of Paul's primary, and then never really being able to understand what the heck Jesus is talking about. And I hear you agreeing with that, Matt, and I think, yeah, that's right. Uh, But at the same time, I think it's problematic to imagine that were not reading Paul into the Gospels, or that the first century wasn't reading Paul into the Gospels, because of course it is Paul's teaching and preaching that is forming the communities from which, uh, well, not just Paul's, but it's the apostolic preaching and teaching that form the communities that then the Gospels are produced within and produced for. And so I, I would push back against this idea that maybe one comes after the other or one comes before the other. And I think that's actually just getting at what Paul Axton was just saying, that it is a proclamation of the gospel. They're proclaiming the risen Christ. And so a way of a- answering this question is, uh, you know, some people, and he was saying, you know, Zizek might just say, well, Paul wasn't a Christian. Or other people, the way they, they put it, we have a friend who likes to, to talk like this. Oh, well, there was the Jesus movement, but then somewhere down the road they formed a religion. And a lot of New Testament scholars would say, yeah, that person was named the Apostle Paul. It's really a problematic way of looking at the New Testament and of understanding the Apostle Paul. Because what Paul is doing in both being accounted for in Acts biographically and what he is teaching in his uh, epistles about cultic actions such as the Lord's Supper and baptism, these two very religious actions that you have in the early church, is saying that he has been received into this tradition and that he's passing it on. And then every now and then, there's there's only a few quotations of Jesus and Paul, but he's always proclaiming the risen Lord. And if you were just a step back and... Um, you know, if you weren't already a part of some kind of doctrinal or theological school, the, the easiest conclusion you would come to is that Paul isn't the beginning of this thing, but he's already standing with a, within a tradition, and he just happens to be very successful at establishing this missionary network in the Greek-speaking world. And so I think that's a way of realizing, well, no, of course, Paul didn't found Christianity. Paul doesn't even found the Christianity, nor claim to found the Christianity that you have in the New Testament canon, that this is all something that he's received. It's a tradition that he stands within, and this is what's being proclaimed in the Gospels. So that, rightly speaking, I think this is Paul Axon was just saying, that the Gospels and the works of Paul don't stand apart from one another, and the only reason we would come to the conclusion that they do is because we already have an erroneous construction of who Paul must have been and what he's saying theologically. Yeah, that's it. And, and I guess that was, that was the point that I, was, that I was making, that it's actually a, it's a, it's a mistake. It's a profound mistake just to separate out the two, you know, the Gospels and the writings of Paul, because you're right, you know, Paul was forming these communities, which uh, end up giving us the Gospels. But I guess, I guess what I meant, though, is that in my uh, years in the church, so much of my understanding about who God is and who Jesus is is sort of informed by a particular reading of Paul that doesn't really take account for the of the narratives that are in the gospel. And so you kind of miss 
you know, you kind of miss out on, you know, stuff like the Sermon on the Mount. And stuff like, you know, yeah, like that. that's right. So where this comes from, um, and I think we should go ahead and I, I want to talk a little bit more specifically for a second because I just was looking it up in Johnson's book. Where this comes from is the Tubigan School. So we've sort of, you know, we've been playing around with the genealogy of this thing the entire time, but F.C. Bauer especially comes up with the idea that if we could just construct who Paul's opponents are, then we would have a better access into what he's saying. And who do you think, you know, they make Paul's opponents out to be? This gets to the old perspective on Paul stuff. Uh, they decide that Paul's opponents are a unified first century uh, Jewish sect or a, a form of Jewish teaching that has taken root in the churches. The problem is there's absolutely no positive evidence for anything like that, for a social context or structural framework within which such literary production might have been carried out. Indeed, so, um, I'm quoting here Johnson, indeed so different are Colossians and Ephesians from letters to Paul's delegates and so different from Second Thessalonians that it is difficult to construct a coherent portrayal of a school that might have, have produced them. So it's not Paul and Paul's school against a Jewish school. Uh, that would just be erroneous. There's no historical evidence to say that. There's no reason why we would come to that conclusion unless what we're trying to do is uh, form a certain construct of what Paul is saying specifically in Galatians and Romans. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to do that. And I think you're right. So, But that's the problem, right? People have done that to the extent that then it's really hard to understand how the gospel being, the risen Christ being proclaimed in the gospels is uh, the same risen Christ that's being proclaimed by Paul, because it seems like what Paul's really after is, um, you know, to try to take down this nefarious sect that was breaking up the churches in the first century based upon their understanding of Torah. Actually, the evidence is that Paul has taught a bunch of people to be Christians and that they find his version of Christianity makes Judaism compelling. And so now they're wanting to go the whole way. And then Paul has to say, no, 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 that's not the point. Uh, Jesus is the point and bring the, rein them back in to keep these communities from dividing al along these lines. Yeah, that's good. I, and this is our whole conversation with about uh, Douglas Campbell and, and everything. And that is, is that we would mistake or at least I, you know, for years, and I think many people still do, it's like you mistake the gospel, the good news, as being justification by faith alone, instead of the good news is that God has made Jesus Christ Lord. <laughs> like, uh, right? Those are two very different, I think, ideas of what Christianity are. You know, one is uh, is apocalyptic and sort of centered mm -hmm. in Christological, and the other is more anthropological and centered upon sort of me and my salvation. So you really do get two vastly different forms, I think, of theology there. Paul, so uh, we'll give you the last word. What's St. Paul's place in early Christianity? Just a small, small question to end this. <laughs> the idea that John is running down, you know, that we, we read Paul, or the tendency has been, well, we take Paul and that we give a, get a construct. And then we may read the wrong Paul into the Gospels if we're not le reading Paul and the Gospels together. And I think that's, you know, I remember at some point in my education that somebody, you know, a professor pointed out, well, see, the church here begins in Acts. And so actually the stuff before this is not Christian per se. And so the stuff after this is the Christian stuff. 
Wait a minute. You just wiped out the main person in Christianity. Whether people normally say at that point blank, I think that many people treat uh, the New Testament in that fashion. A lot of this, you know, you go back to somebody like F.C. Bauer. Bauer is a Hegelian. That's right. Uh, he's seeing everything in light of a kind of dialectic. Yes. And he wants to set up the person of Paul and, you know, right. the, who Paul is, is understood over and against his opponents. So we can read the dialectic right into the New Testament that we have James and Peter. And then in some way, their gospel is opposed to that of Paul. And so you get these in a dialectic, you know, you get a, actually a, com a complete break between two understandings. So I think part of understanding who Paul is in light, you know, you're reading those together, is that we're going to recognize that the New Testament is precisely not a Hegelian dialectic based on sort, some sort of uh, imagined dualism. In fact, what is taking place in the New Testament is over and against that form of thought. Once you understand the human predicament, the human problem, what we have in so much of New Testament studies is not recognizing the problem, but working in what I would call the very thing the New Testament is undoing, it fails to undo that for itself. That is, there, there is this imagined dualism. So Paul, then, is not the inventor of Christianity. I like the way that, that John has described it. Paul writes occasional letters. And what that means is the occasion apparently is very often primary. Certainly he writes things like Ephesians that uh, read very differently because they are not occasional. They're circular letters. That Here is a summation. Here is a broad sweeping move theologically. And so Paul is developing... Uh, he's establishing churches as a missionary, mm -hmm. and his primary concern is the preservation of these communities. I like uh, N.T. Wright's here picture of this. He calls them, you know, temple communities. That is what the temple would have done for the Jews in uh, Jerusalem. There is the sense that here is the fulfillment of this worldwide temple community in these humble little groups of people that Paul is so concerned to preserve the unity of these people that for him it is a, a kind of cosmic. He has this kind of cosmic vision that comes out, and yet he attaches this cosmic vision to these ordinary humble circumstances, and he brings these things then into a, a unified picture. For me, that's who Paul is. Paul is one who preaches peace and unity in and through Christ Jesus. Excellent. Excellent. What a beautiful way to end. <laughs> yeah, beautiful way to end. I was going to ask you, John, if you had any, we have a, just a couple minutes left, if you had any any parting thoughts that can you can you outdo Paul's beauty there? I'm not sure, but... Uh, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to add before we go, John? Thank you, by the way. So uh, I guess we could let our listeners know what we have done. Uh, and that's that 
I am working with the text of Luke Timothy Johnson's new book, Constructing Paul. It's going to be a two-volume work. Just the first volume is out. And we've just covered the first part of that book. And maybe in successive weeks, we'll cover the other two parts as well. But it is a, a project that's interacting with all of the New Testament uh, Paul studies that are out there uh, as of now. Interestingly enough, he, he doesn't he's not able to mention the book we just did, Pauline Dogmatics, because they were just published within months of each other. But um, so this is cutting edge Pauline uh, studies. Forging plowshares, we are on the cutting edge of theological. <laughs> well, we're on top of all of it. Isn't that amazing? Uh, oh, I'm so well, glad, John, you brought this uh, to our attention. Yeah. Man, you you were you were we doing never great. Had a tech, uh, usually, I'm the source of all of our technical problems. This was our best podcast ever. And we Paul lost. Sermon, John, he told me that uh, last Sunday he preached, and it was the first time. You know, Faith never says this, but she, she, you know, he got off the stage, he sat down, and Faith whispered into his ear and said, "Paul, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard you preach." And Paul, and Paul realized that his recorder was not recording. I actually had two people say, "Yeah, oh, that was the best ever. That was the that was the best." Yeah, that has gone. No, it was wonderful. I, I Paul, is there any, do you want to direct our listeners if they would like to help out or find more about Forging Plowshares? We are dependent upon support from people that listen. If you go to our webpage, there's two places you can donate through Outreach International. We also have a Patreon page if you would like to become an active member of the Forging Plowshares community. You, through that uh, Patreon page, you can, if you have something that you would like to talk about, through our Patreon members, we take feedback and information. We also then through the Patreon, we, we do, depending on the level of membership, if you would like to join our book club. And of course, we have the uh, Plowshares Bible Institute. The next class offering is on the books of Ephesians and Philemon. If you, you can go to PBI and look at the applications and, and our catalog Thank there. Thank you. Very good, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.